Uh, this morning, though, we're going to talk about Ecclesiastes. Um, so we'll be doing today. Last week we talked about Proverbs. So this is kind of a two-part, ended up becoming a, a two-part series, last week's Proverbs. So if you weren't here last week, you might want to check it out online on our website, listen to it. This week we'll talk about the other piece of wisdom literature, and that's Ecclesiastes. I've seen a lot of titles of sermons. I, I pay a kind of attention to these sorts of things, and I've, I've noticed over the years that I've seen almost every church or preacher that I know preach some kind of, uh, some kind of version of a series about what to do when life doesn't make sense. Or when God doesn't make sense. Or when things don't make sense. And I, I, I think that that is kind of a universal. It doesn't matter what religion or race that you are. This kind of making sense of life is a, is a difficult piece. Uh, in fact, it's, it, it's beyond time and space. If you rewind 3,000 years and you put yourself 6,092 miles, which is the exact distance between us and Jerusalem, you'll find that the people who are writing the Bible are asking the same kind of questions that we're asking. Uh, but there's something that's kind of underneath even that sermon series title that sometimes we talk about. What do I do when life doesn't make sense? And that is that question of, should life have ever made sense? Should life make sense? The answer of Proverbs, the answers from last week is, yes, life can absolutely make sense. If you orient yourself towards God's covenant relationship with his people, if you orient yourself towards God's law, and if you apply to those things wisdom, and you move rightly according to the way the world was designed, things will go well for you. In fact, we talked about a passage last week, right here, Proverbs 3, 5-6, trust in the Lord. With all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That's so clear, isn't it? So clean, so doable in some ways. All I have to do is put God first in everything, and then everything will go well with me. In fact, I was sitting with a young lady who asked me that very question, summarizing back to me, asking the question, well, so if I follow God, if I keep the, the life with God, and I, I'm keeping his ways and doing what's right, all things will kind of go well for me. And I wanted to say to her immediately, yes, that's exactly right. Except for it's not exactly right, is it? Because at the same time we say, yes, that's absolutely true. We also have to say, well, well, well no, it's not absolutely true. Because there's another voice that speaks up from our scriptures, and it says this. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All things are vanity. Why don't you go ahead and find that in your Bibles. Ecclesiastes, it's a book that you never turn to because it starts like this. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's totally okay. In fact, it'd be great for you to follow along right where I'm at. I am on page 553. It's the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll be digging into this a little bit today. What's interesting to me as, we, as you're sort of flipping there and finding it, what's interesting to me is how Proverbs functions and especially how Proverbs ends. So you might, if, in case you don't know, um, Proverbs ends in Proverbs 31, last chapter of the book. In fact, it's become such a thing that sometimes you'll hear people use the phrase Proverbs 31 women. Have you ever heard that? Isn't there like some kind of company they sell like overpriced bags or something? Proverbs 31, is, is that? Oh, it's just 31? Is it related to Proverbs 31? Okay. I don't know these things. Anyway, Paul knows these things. If you have any questions about ladies' bags, Paul is the... <laughs> Proverbs 31 is such an interesting end of the book. 
Proverbs is this sort of relentlessly optimistic vision of like put your life in God's hands and God will hold you. And it ends with this vision of a woman who is like the perfect woman. Like she does everything. She gets up before everyone else. God bless her. Makes breakfast. Sews and makes her own products. Then sells them. Then gets tired of making and selling her own merchandise and decides she wants to buy some property. So she goes out and buys property and flips it and makes a bunch of money on it. She's so well known. Her acumen and prowess and dignity is so full and overwhelming that her husband just sits at the gate and he's known because she's so great. Speaks of many of you here today. Just <laughs> Me included. It's such a wonderful vision. It's sort of like, oh man, this is, what, this is what life can be if you put your life. It's kind of this climactic moment. This woman who has put all of her life and trust in the Lord. And the Lord has just poured blessing onto her whole family. That's this vision we get. And then all of a sudden, the very next page, the words of the preacher, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities says the preacher, vanity of vanities. What does man gain by all of his toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes. The earth is still here. The sun rises, the sun goes down, the sun returns back to where it was and rises again all over. The wind blows to the south, then goes to the north, around and around and around and around and around and around and around goes the wind. On its circuits, the wind returns. All the streams, they run into the sea, but the sea doesn't fill up. The place where the streams go, they flow back and forth, back and forth. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot even utter it. The eye is never satisfied with all it sees. The ear is never satisfied with all it hears. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Well, I know that we probably don't pay a lot of attention to how the Bible is structured between books, but don't you notice the starkness of the transition? It's like we were going, we were going, we were going, and then it was like a full stop, reverse, and we're headed back the other way. I mean, that is intense. There's a voice that is speaking up, and it is saying something to us here, and if we are smart, we will listen to it. Uh, it, There's a a word that kind of begins here, the words of the preacher. Some of your Bibles might say preacher. Some of them might say teacher. The Hebrew word is kohelet. Um, And the root of that Hebrew word, since Hebrew words actually have just three consonants that function as their root, the root of that Hebrew word is simply the speaker, to speak, the one who stands up and speaks. We've been listening to the father and son of Proverbs. We've been listening to the woman who is kind of this young teaching wisdom character. And now there's somebody new on the scene, and he is, to steal from the Bible Project, which has a great video on this you might want to check out, we have The Critic. And I really like that way of talking about what's happening here. And the critic is quite interesting. He's so interesting and so different from what we had in Proverbs that it is quite jarring. But you'll notice that the first thing he points out is what? Everything is vain. Vanities of vanities. How many of you have maybe an NIV? It might say meaningless. You got that? Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Either one might be something that you've 
heard. In fact, what's interesting about this phrase, vanity or meaningless, is that it shows up over 40 times in a 12-chapter book. Over and over again, the critic is saying, it's meaningless, it's meaningless, it's meaningless, it's vain, it's vain, it's vain. And that can be kind of problematic for us since we have these words, meaningless and uh, vanity, but it's actually the root of that Hebrew word is hevel, and hevel means vapor or mist. So what is the teacher, the preacher, the critic? What is the critic trying to say to us? Is he trying to tell you that life is meaningless? You might as well just kind of just end it right now. Is he pulling an early Nietzsche? Is he saying that it's all vain? Vain gets a little closer to hevel, but it's not quite right. There's something, there's something different about it. It's a mist. It's a vapor, right? That's a different kind of thing, isn't it? Because what is mist and vapor like? It's, it's impossible to grab a hold of, is it? He's not saying it's meaningless. He's saying try to gather it up. Try to control it. Try to take your life and make it into what you want. But you can't. The more you try to grasp it, the more you try to control it, the more you try to make it happen and do what you want, the more that it slips through your fingers. Life is not meaningless in in the sense that it's completely purposeless. It's not vain in that everything we do is just vanity, but rather it is like a mist. It blows past us. We can't control it. We can't manipulate it. We can't make it happen. It happens to us. So, we might retranslate this a different kind of way. We might say, a mist, vapors, says the speaker. Mist, vapors, everything is just fog. You can't hold on to it. It's out of your control. Another way of putting this would be to say that everything is fleeting. Ecclesiastes 9.11 says this. Again, I saw that under the sun the race was not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Now, the difference here is that the critic is, not, is saying, listen, it's not as simple as if you work really hard, you'll get what you want. I mean, Jeff Bezos, either he is a billionaire or he's about to become a billionaire. I can't remember which one it is. And I'm sure that he worked quite hard. The founder of Amazon is who Jeff Bezos is, if you didn't know. I'm sure he worked quite hard. I'm sure he made lots of smart business decisions. But I guarantee you he was not the only person selling books mid-90s online, right? Yet he's a billionaire and all the other ones crumbled. Why? In some ways, that we can't even explain it. We can't do it. And what he says here is, listen, yeah, not, not everyone who's the fastest wins the race. Sometimes you trip. The smartest person doesn't get all the money. In fact, when we look at Jeff Bezos, we know for a fact this guy does not represent anything we see in Proverbs. He's not an upstanding, righteous man who's using his wealth and glorifying God and keeping, like, morality or something. Like, he's not following the he's not, He is an accident in our eyes. It's just like, whoa, how did this happen? And so what he's saying is not, I don't think that, I don't think he's trying, ooh. We might get little surprises from this thing. <laughs> um, I don't think he's trying to say that God uh, plays dice, that like the whole universe is just a roll of the dice, it's all chance. But what he is saying is from our perspective, we sit 
in the cloud and the fog. And we try to see through it. We try to understand it. But the more we try to see through it and the more we try to understand it, the, the more we can't figure it out. And so the critic is speaking up and he's trying to offer a counterbalance to the positive wisdom that we have in Proverbs. You need both of these books. They function together. They don't function apart. They work together. There is that constant relentless optimism. In fact, the critic speaks up often and says, you should be wise. Pursue wisdom. Wisdom's great, but recognize that things don't always work out. In fact, there's a, this, is, this is kind of fun to do. We'll do this with a few different things. We've got uh, Proverbs on money. We've read this a couple times. I've mentioned this a few times. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce your barns will be full of plenty your vats will be bursting with wine and then he ecclesiastes has something to say as well he who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income this is mist it's fog it's vapor right what about work proverbs has great things to say about work do you see the man who is skillful in his work he'll be in front of kings they don't put him in front of ordinary people he's excellent He's an artisan. Apparently, they didn't have starving artists back in the ancient world. Ecclesiastes 2 has something else to say about work. This might resonate with some of you who wish it was time to retire. (laughs) I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all of which I've toiled and used my wisdom under the sun, and so this too is smoke. It's vapor. It doesn't say that his job was meaningless. It doesn't say his toil was meaningless. It's not saying it was worth nothing. No, it fed his family. It gave him opportunities, whatever else. But what is he saying here? He's saying, I can't hold on to that. I'm not going to hold on to that job. I might build. Jeff Bezos will be in the ground, and someone else will own Amazon, and all will be forgotten. He'll be a blip in history. It's vapor. It's smoke. What about our families? The great idol of America. Proverbs 13.22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Not just his children. His children's children. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. So what does the author of Proverbs say? He says, you will be forgotten. Generation or two, and our names will be in history books if you're very, very lucky, maybe that your family puts together for a family reunion someday. So we could tackle this with a host of issues, a host of issues that we could go back and forth. And if you were maybe an atheist, you might say something like, oh, well, the Bible can't even make up its mind, doesn't even know what it's saying. No, that's not what's happening at all. The Bible is capturing in both of these, both Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, the beautiful mystery that we call life. Sometimes things work out very well. You make a wise decision and it pays off. You listen to Proverbs. You walk with God. God fills your heart. He gives you life. All of that wonderful teaching that we emerge and we get from Proverbs allows us to sort of move forward in the best possible way. But the critic steps up and says, yes, you can move forward in the best possible way, but realize that sometimes things just don't happen right. That we live in a complex and difficult world. And that's one of the reasons why I love Ecclesiastes. Not because it seems like a downer, because what I hear him saying is not a downer message. He's just trying to like bring you down. He's trying to say, listen, I don't want you to slip up and fall. Because if all you have is that positive vision, if I do what's right, I'll get what, I, what I'm wanting. That's not always true. And so I need to fill this out for you so that when the hard time comes, 
Wisdom still does its work and helps your life. And this is really important because every time you turn on the Christian radio station, or every time I turn on the Christian radio station, it is a relentless stream of positivity. Always. And in no way reflects your Bible. Because your Bible is not a stream of relentless positivity. It's both. It's a hope that we have, a deep and abiding hope that God will bring to rights every hurt that we have hurt. But you'll still hurt. And you as Christians maturing in the faith, or you who are listening who maybe aren't Christians, need to know that truth. Becoming a Christian won't make everything right. And so what do we have? We have some things we can pull together, I think, as we draw this to a close. And the first thing is that I think he's trying to say, hold life loosely. Let's do it one more time. Because it's just fun, right? And I hope that, I, we won't do this every Sunday for those of you who are afraid we're going to do a rock concert thing. We're not. But I just thought, what an interesting thing to think about for a moment. That our lives are like this. And if our lives are like this, then every instance of it is a gift from God. I think, I think Ecclesiastes is dripping with gratitude. Because he's always saying, listen, you can't make it happen. And if you can't make it happen, then why are you trying to control it? Could you control this thing that I just kicked out here? Are we gonna, could you control? No, we can't. In fact, you could try. You could take all this fog and you can fill your house with it. You might call it wealth. The critic would call it fog. You could fill your house with it. You could fill your car with it. You could fill your bank account with it. You could come up with a whole new way. You could pioneer new fog making. And it's still fog. It's still a mist. It's still vapor. And so the critic is stepping in and he's saying, listen, it's all a gift. You can't control it. Hold it loosely. Don't try to control it because you can't. And this is one of the, we, we pick this up later on in James. Like James speaks this way. He says, what is your life? You are a vapor, a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. And so what should we do? What should our, be our disposition? What should be our attitude then toward life, the life that God has given us? He says it should be this. And now here he's speaking specifically to merchants. And so they're making plans to go on trips. And so he says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Right? What is it pushing us toward? It pushes us towards humility. Remember, one of the things that God honors the most is humility. And one of the things that God hates the most is pride. And Ecclesiastes brings us down to that moment where we say, yeah, yeah, I, I need to put more trust in God. I need to hold it all a little more loosely. But I think there's also something that you get again and again. You can't miss it. If you read Ecclesiastes, and my hope is that after this it will have inspired you a little bit. But basically, he says, enjoy life. Enjoy life. Ecclesiastes 5, 12 through 13, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that they should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of the toils, for these are a gift from God to man. Isn't it interesting that we enjoy eating? You ever thought about that? I mean, God could have, I mean, we, you don't need to enjoy food to eat it. How many of you could, you know that. <laughs> There's been plenty of times. Don't make a joke. Don't make a joke. Keep going. 
We don't have to enjoy eating to receive nutrients. We don't have to enjoy sex to procreate. We don't have to enjoy sleeping, and it's my favorite thing. How many of you just are ready to lay down in bed? You're like, you're already planning. Two o'clock, the kids are going down, and so am I, baby, right? We don't have to, but you enjoy it, don't you? It feels so good to just lay in bed after a long day. Why? Why do we enjoy eating? Why do we enjoy all these things? We enjoy because God made us for pleasure. He made you to enjoy life. He made coffee. He made pizza. He made Laura. Things are great. You should enjoy it, right? The critic is not saying don't work. He's not saying be lazy. He's not saying, oh, fly out to the Riviera and become a hedonist. He's saying, listen, work hard. Enjoy your life. It's fine. But recognize that difficulties will come. Recognize that it's all fog. And so you might as well enjoy the ride as it happens to you, right? There's a lot of that that's going on here. And he concludes, he concludes very succinctly that there is an overriding principle that all of Scripture constantly harkens back to as it gives us each new piece of, of information, each new nugget of truth, and that is this, that we are to fear God and to keep his commandments. The last word that we get out of Ecclesiastes is this very passage, the last thing he has to say. In fact, this is kind of, it's not even actually the critic, this is kind of a new speaker who kind of comes in. And this new speaker steps in and kind of wraps it all up. We've been going through this journey of me constantly telling you time is continuing on. It's continuing on without you. It's continuing on with you. It's just continuing on. Death is coming. It's going to come. It's going to happen. And so you need to live your life to the fullest. Enjoy it. But he says this overrides everything else. In the end of the matter, all things have been heard. We know the foundational truth of all things. And if you'll remember with me, last week we talked that the foundational truth of Proverbs is the exact same thing, isn't it? Proverbs is giving us this positive view of wisdom that can change our lives for the better. But even that positive bit of wisdom about how to change our lives for the better is rooted in a covenant relationship with God and God's people and the keeping of God's word as found in Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And the same thing is coming full circle here in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes has kind of said, yeah, you can toil all your life, but you're going to end up in the grave. And so make sure that along the way you've actually got your eyes fixed on the things that matter. And if there's one thing that American Christians need more, I think it's this, to read Ecclesiastes because we are grasping for fog in so much of our life grasping to things that we can't hang on to in so much of life. And Ecclesiastes is there to remind you to hold on to that which matters, that which is eternal, and to root every single thing you do in this, the fear of God who can raise you or judge you, and to keep his commandments that we might live the best life possible, but also that we might stand in the judgment with the righteous and be ushered in into eternal life, just as all Scripture calls, promises, and asks us to hope for. In the end of the matter, it is this, to fear the Lord and to keep his commandments, because God is good. How good is he? He gave you naps to enjoy. So hold life loosely. Trust in God, and he will lift you up. Let's stand as we sing this last song.